Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. This morning we will be discussing the subject of the fear of God. Last week we talked about priorities. But this week we're going to talk about the fear of God in Ephesians chapter 5:21 is our first and opening text and we're going to share why we're talking about that this morning in just a moment. But let's read our text. Ephesians 5 verse 21 tells us submitting ourselves to one another in the fear of God. Submitting ourselves one to another how in the fear of God. Now, when it comes to establishing priorities in our lives, we talked about biblical priorities Meaning we put God first, our spouse second, our children, aged parents third, and then fourth our work, fifth would be the church, sixth would be our government, and you you get the idea. And we see in scripture that that's God's order of priorities that every one of us should be established in. And as I was meditating upon this throughout the week, the beginning of the week after preaching last Sunday about priorities, I was thinking about the direction to go in. All of a sudden I had one of those suddenly you know what I mean by suddenly something just rose up on the inside of me and I hope not an audible voice but just heard within my spirit preaching on priorities won't be effective unless you preach on the fear of God I said okay I took that as my cue and discovered that the fear of the Lord or the fear of God is the motivation behind our following The priorities established for us in scripture. If a person doesn't have the fear of God. Then really they're not even going to respond to put God first. Spouse second. Children third etc. They'll establish their own priorities based on themselves. And what they want for their lives. But when a person truly has the fear of God. They'll be a servant of the Lord. They will serve him out of love for him number one. And also the fear of the Lord and we're going to start right there and share with you some blessed truths I believe and there's a lot of scripture here today don't don't get scared we'll cover it quickly we'll cover it number one why fear God for our own good number one look in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 10 and now Israel what does the Lord thy God notice require of thee a requirement But to fear the Lord thy God, which leads to walking in his ways, which demonstrates loving him and serving him, the Lord thy God, with all your heart, with all your soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day, notice, for thy good. Think about that. The requirement is that we fear him first and all those other things unfold and it's for our own good secondly notice to serve the Lord acceptably we've got to have the fear of God in the book of Hebrews we are told chapter 12 wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear and he tells why 
Because our God is a consuming fire. So everyone should serve him. See, servanthood, servitude is born out of fear for God as well as our love for God. But if we want to serve him acceptably, we need to fear the Lord, our God. Number three, the words of Jesus make it very clear. In the book of Luke, chapter 12, verses 4 and 5, And I say unto you, my friends, this is Jesus speaking, Be not afraid of them that can kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which, after he hath killed, hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Hmm. And then number four, Solomon's conclusion and also man's duty. In the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. This is coming from supposedly the wisest man who ever lived on the earth, right? And the conclusion means this. He came to this conclusion after using all the resources that he had to find pleasure and purpose in life. I mean, this man had wealth. He had power. He had good looks. And the list goes on and on, all the resources that he had. He tried to find pleasure and purpose in life. He turned to women, wine, folly, foolishness, building projects, entertainment. The list goes on and on, song and all that. What did he conclude? It's all meaningless. What's most important is this, that you fear God and keep his commandments. But listen to this. A wise man, huh? 700 wives, 300 concubines. You buy each of, them, each of them a gift for Hanukkah? Can you imagine the Hanukkah bill? I hope he didn't charge it. And I thought that through and I thought, wait a minute. He can afford to buy all those wives just one gift. Can he afford that? So I looked up his net worth. You ready for it? 2.2 trillion dollars. And that was back in the day when a trillion dollars was a lot of money. Did you hear that? I think he could afford to buy all those women, I guess, a birthday present now and then. 2.2 trillion dollars. But it couldn't buy him happiness, could it? And that's what he concluded. It's the whole duty of man to fear God and keep his commandments. Look at the next one. The benefits. We're going to go quickly through this. Number one, no wants. Look at Psalm 34, 9. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints. Why? There is no want to them that fear him. Secondly, deliverance. Verse 7 of the same psalm. The angel of the Lord encamps round about them that fear him and delivers them. And trust me, when I'm giving you these scriptures, this is a small portion of scripture that talk about fearing God in the Bible. There's so many more. Look at the next one. You want a blessed life? Anybody want a blessed life? Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord that walks in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. 
Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the size of thine house. Thy children like all the plants round about the table. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that what? Feareth the Lord. You'll be a blessed person. Next one. Confidence, refuge, and life. Look in Proverbs. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. It's pretty good, wouldn't you say? What a blessing that is. Look at the next one. Longevity. Everybody should want longevity. The fear of the Lord prolongeth days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. The next one, the most outstanding quality or characteristic of a woman, wife, or virtuous woman is found right here. Of all the things that he talked about a, a virtuous woman should be, here's what he concludes. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. So, gentlemen... If you're looking for a wife, look for someone who fears the Lord. Nothing is more important than that. Can you see that? And then look at the next. Health. Everybody wants health. Proverbs 3, 7 and 8. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It'll be health to your navel and marrow to your bones. So these are just some of the benefits of walking in the fear of the Lord and the number six important for all of us see to it that we don't want to be labeled among the fools in the world notice Proverbs 1 verse 7 the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction only the fool says in his heart that there is no God right so it's important that we understand there's a motivation behind our fearing God. We love Him. We fear Him. Not in the sense of an unhealthy fear, but a wholesome fear. A healthy fear. You could say a reverential fear. Now what is the fear of the Lord? According to Vine's expository uh, dictionary of New Testament words, it's a controlling motive of the life in matters spiritual and as well as moral. It's not just a fear that we have because of his power or righteous retribution. It's a wholesome dread of displeasing him. In other words, we don't want to displease him in any way. We have this desire within our hearts to be pleasing to him. And so we walk in his ways. We keep his statutes and his judgments. We live our lives according to his will and what he desires for us. Look in the book of Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 6. What it says, Be, by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. So by it, men depart from evil. But then also without it, look at the book of Psalms first, chapter 36 and verse 1. The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before their eyes. Did you hear that? Oh, and, oh, I'll tell you what, we can stop right here just for a moment and really, really meddle a lot. And what's going on in our society, what's going on in just life in this century, 
And we can call out so many different things that you could see people have no fear of God before their eyes whatsoever. You know, it's okay to kill a baby. And to be honest with you, you know, I know there's the say, well, it's a woman's right. It's a woman's right to commit murder is what it boils down to. And it's no different than taking a child out of the womb and throwing into the fire, offering up that child to a false god or an image, which is what they used to do back then. You know, and when you hear these, once again, all these things that people believe in, it's just beyond my comprehension. But then I realize there's no fear of God before their eyes. So it doesn't matter how they live their lives. doesn't matter what they do. There's no fear of God before their eyes. So to them, it's okay. And then if you preach anymore against it, all of a sudden you're tagged as just some lunatic that you're out there, you know, belittling people and putting them down or you're a hate person. You're hating these people. No, no, no. We love them more than they love themselves because there's a heaven to gain. There's a hell to shun and we want to keep them from that awful place of eternal separation from God. And someone needs to tell them if they don't know themselves. What inspires godly fear? How many know that there's two schools that we can go to? The school of hard knocks. Or we can be educated through teaching like the school of the word and be taught the word of God. I'd rather be taught the word of God and do it God's way. But, you know, it's not always that way. Sometimes we go through the school of hard knocks, don't we? And we learn the hard way. You know, parents tell their children, I've been down that path. I've walked down that road. I've fallen in those ditches. I'm trying to help you to prevent you from doing the same thing that I did that was wrong. So you don't have to go through that. But sometimes we do and sometimes we don't. You tell a child, don't touch that stove, it's hot. Don't touch that stove, it's hot. Don't touch that stove, it's hot. And then, ah, now there's reverence for the stove. Don't have to say it anymore. But we tried to avert it, we tried to avoid it by education, didn't we? But it's like that with all of us, I'm sure, because of that gap, the generational gap. Number one, what inspires godly fear? The presence of God. The presence of God. Look in the book of Exodus chapter 20. And all the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, speak thou with us and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. And Moses said unto the people, fear not, for God has come to prove you, and that his fear may be before your faces. Why? That you sin not. How many remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira? In the inception of the church age, when they said they sold their property for a certain amount of money and they came and lied to Peter but really they lied to the Holy Ghost and one at a time the the husband and the wife died in the presence of all the people it says great fear came on all the church great fear came on all the church you see there was the presence of God manifestation in such a way that judgment fell immediately upon those people and it brought great fear so as to walk right with God and not dishonor God not lie before God and so with the presence of God is, the, is was manifested there. They were afraid to even near the mountain or touch the mountain because of the presence of God. Number two, his holy nature. 
we won't read it, but in the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, you should know the story about Isaiah. Saw the Lord high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. The angels cried, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And what did he do? He fell before the presence of the living God saying, I'm unclean. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm undone. And I come from a people of unclean lips. He recognized his shortcomings as a result of seeing the presence of the glory of God and the holiness of the living God. And you don't have to say too much. Not a sermon is really necessary. When you see his presence... Or you experience his holiness. No words need to be spoken. And that's why we keep saying right here in this place. We've not come to have false smoke. Fake smoke. We've come for the glory. The glory. The presence. The divine presence of God. To come and manifest among us as it did back then. To manifest in such a way. It speaks to our hearts and penetrates our souls. Just by being in the divine presence. And it moves us to the place that we want to honor him. Number three, his power. And I want to read these verses. They're important. His power should create within us a sense of awe and reverential fear. Look at Psalm 33. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathered the waters of the sea together as an heap and layeth up the depth in storehouses. Let all the earth do what? Fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. He didn't just flex his bicep. He spoke and it all came into being. You stand in awe of a God with such power. But look at Jeremiah chapter 5. 20 through 25. Declare this in the house of Jacob and publish it in Judah saying, hear now this, O foolish people and without understanding, which have eyes and see not, which have ears and hear not. Fear ye not me, saith the Lord. Will you not tremble at my presence? There it is, the presence. Which have placed the sand for the bound of the sea by a perpetual decree that it cannot pass it. And though the ways thereof toss themselves, yet can they not prevail. Though they roar, yet can they not pass over it. But this people hath a revolting and rebellious heart. They are revolted and gone. Neither say they in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God that giveth rain, both the former and the latter, in his season. He reserveth unto us the appointed weeks of the harvest. Your iniquities have turned away these things and your sins have withholden good things from you. What an awesome God who just gives a perpetual decree and the sand becomes that which holds back the mighty waters of the oceans and they cannot cross over. Oh, a tsunami might hit and they'll cross over for a moment, but they got to go back. And they got to go back. A hurricane might come and they cross over inland a little bit. But they got to go back. And they got to go back. You know, this is a good faith teaching right here. Here we are standing at the edge. We're attacked. Violating the word of God or the decree of God that says you can't cross over by a perpetual decree. But they cross over because there's a storm and the storms of life come to all of us. And so there we are, we're the sand on the sea, and we're standing there at the shore, and we're looking over, and these waters are coming, a tsunami hits us, and boy, I'm telling you, it just comes, and seems like it bowls us right over. 
Where are we going to go? What are we going to do? Be like the sand along the seashore. Just stand there and say, you got to go back. You got to go back. You got to go back. And what does it do? It goes back. It goes back, doesn't it? Let the storm come. It's got to go back. We stand in faith and we believe God. But notice what he said. Won't you fear me? Don't you have this godly reverential fear for me who can create such a thing and cause such a thing? Wow. And then his name. His name. You realize the Jews don't use his name. They don't say his name except for reading the Torah or in prayer. That's the only time they use it. And if you ever read anything that was written by a Jewish person, they'll put G-D. They don't want to use the name. Why? Because they don't want to violate the commandment, the third commandment that says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. So they won't won't use it and they won't say it. Because they don't want to violate that. But the name of the Lord... Is to be reverenced. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. I think. Maybe there's a little bit of going overboard there. But I guess they're erring on the side of caution. But how many believers. Really misuse just saying God. I'd rather say gosh. Goodness. And not say. God like many do. Or use the name of Jesus in vain. The name of the Lord our God in vain. See, there's no fear of God before their eyes if they misuse it. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 28. Look at what it says about that. If thou wilt not observe to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that thou mayest, what? Fear what? The glorious, this glorious and fearful name, the Lord thy God. Then... The Lord will make thy plagues wonderful and thy plagues, the plagues of thy seed, even great plagues and a long continuance and sore sicknesses and of long continuance. Moreover, he will bring upon thee all the diseases of Egypt, which thou was afraid of, and they shall cleave unto thee also every sickness and every plague, which is not written in the book of this law. Then will the Lord bring upon thee until you've been destroyed. Hmm. Look also in the book of Malachi. Scripture often Often it's used. But look at what it says. But unto, you, but unto you that fear my name. In other words, you have reverence for my name. We don't just throw the name around flippantly. But it's a holy name. It's a powerful name. It's an awesome name. Shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. But notice, there's a reverence for the name. Next one, his judgments. In Psalm 119 and verse 120. My flesh trembleth for fear of thee, and I am afraid of thy judgments. There was a time when I was a teenager and I was uh, unaware of conviction. I wasn't saved. I was in church for 24 years but it, before getting saved. But it, this time I was about 16 years old. I go to bed at night and just lie on my bed and I would just, I'm lost. I'd wake up in a cold sweat and say, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. You see, there was conviction brought upon my soul and I didn't even know what it was. But I was separated from God in a state of death and if I had died, I would have been lost forever. So I would call out and cry out to God the best I knew how to. I want to be with you in heaven. I want to go to heaven. I don't want to be lost. 
I want to be with you forever in, in eternity. And he would send people across my path and say, you must be born again. And I would say, you're a Jesus freak. You're a lunatic. Not knowing it's what I needed. Had no idea because I never heard that. I thought they were crazy. But he kept on sending people across my path. Don't give up on people. He kept sending someone to my door, to my house where I worked. Finally, my father wrote out a sinner's prayer for me. You see, I didn't realize it, but the Holy Spirit comes to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And I didn't know what I was being convicted of judgment. And I got saved. And oh, how I thank God that I did. But look at Hebrews chapter 10 as well. We see the same thing here. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, and I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, wait a minute. I thought God was all love. Yeah, he is. He's a loving God and a caring God, and he cares for us. But he's also a righteous God and a just God. A God of justice and judgment as well. And he wants us, his people, not just to play on his mercy, and grace but also realize he wants us to walk uprightly before him and that's what it's going to inspire which we'll see in the last section what does it inspire look at proverbs 8 verse 13 a hatred for sin it inspires a hatred for sin when a person truly understands the fear of the lord then you'll have a hatred for sin you want to take the high road not just the mediocre road especially not the low road you don't want to just walk the fence the fear of the lord is to hate evil pride and arrogancy and every and the and the evil way and the froward mouth do i hate how come it's so quiet in here today what does he hate Either we could do like the psalmist said, put a watch over my lips, or I'll have Chuck go out to Mark's and buy a lot of duct tape. (laughs) Think about it. It's so easy to sin with our tongue, and we don't even realize it, because why? We've lost the fear of God. If you say, I shouldn't say this, then don't say it. If you're convicted, don't say it. I shouldn't say it. Right? When we lose the fear of God, what do I mean by that? Well, listen to this. When I worked in a Youngstown Sheet and Tube Company, I ran a mill crane. And I worked around tons of equipment. And I would carry it from place to place. Um, Cobblers. They would cut the steel pipes. They'd be like 35 feet long. 15 inch in diameter seamless pipe that we made the cobbler would go into the high mill and cobble up and I'd have to get my crane and pull it out I'm pulling out this huge thing it's red hot we'd put in a cooling bin where a burner would come and cut them in half and then I would get a, they would get a cord and they would they were called hookers at that time and they would get a cord put them around it and then I would pick them up and I would take them across I'd have people underneath me underneath this lift that I'm carrying and then I would take the high mill off, and the high mill was this humongous thing. And this big old crane that I'm running, it could barely, it's, it's so heavy, it could barely lift it like one inch at a time. Other things just go like that, but this one would go, literally, you can see, is it moving? Is it moving? 
Now imagine when I'm up there changing the mill, I've got two or three guys standing up there on that high mill, one on each corner. All I've got to do is move it the wrong way and they're dead. And I've watched people go to the mill. When you first go down to the mill, when I first went down to the mill, I had respect and reverence for the machinery. But the longer you work there, you grow accustomed to it. You lose that reverential fear that you had for all that equipment. And guess what happened? One millwright who kind of lost that and didn't follow through on all the things that he should kn- to, to, to do, to know to do. Turn off the electricity before you check out the arms that take the billets and roll them down over to the piercer. It's like an S-shaped arm. And this hot billet would come out of the furnace at 2,200 degrees. You can still see it's orange. And then this S thing would just flip it over and it would go down to the piercer where they would pierce it and send it over to the reheat furnace and then to the high mill and down to the reelers and then down to the sizing mill and down to the cooling rack. Well, one of the millwrights just decided to check out the mill before it started up and check, make sure that everything is working correctly. And when you do that, you should turn off the electricity, especially if you're going to walk underneath where those arms are. And he didn't. Another person went in there and, and pushed the button. I, can, I won't even go any further than that. If you can only imagine what happened at that point. There was another one that walked right in front of a pipe that was going through one of the um, rollers, on the horizontal rollers. It went right through his stomach and out the back, caught a rise, and they went and sent for his family. Another one walking out in a the, in the rail yard Walked right between the rail box cars and didn't realize. All of a sudden, boom, it snapped together right here in his stomach. They called for his wife to come down and say goodbye before they took it out and he would have died instantly. What I'm saying, we can get so callous when it comes to these things. We can get so numb when it comes to these things. Take things for granted that, you know, you don't realize it anymore. But you know what? God wants us to love him, yes, but also have a reverential fear. Look at the next one. Psalm 34. Come, ye children, hearken to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desires life? Anybody here? And loves many days? That he may see good? Anybody here? Keep your tongue from... Oh, why does he always have to go back to the tongue? Why does he always have to go back to the tongue? First thing he says, I'm teaching you the fear of the Lord. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking gal. Depart from evil and do good and seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord upon the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. So, depart from evil. This is the fear of the Lord and watch your tongue. Look at the next one. Obedience, Exodus 1, verse 17. But the midwives feared God and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men, children alive. When they were told to kill them, they didn't. Because they feared God more than man. Can you see that? Okay, look at the next one. It'll also inspire an upright walk. He that walketh in his uprightness fears the Lord. But he that is perverse in his ways, wow, these are strong words, aren't they? Despise him. You know, it's wonderful to say that we are the righteousness of God in Christ, and we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Well, guess what? We're supposed to walk in our righteousness. Amen. That's on the inside has got to come to the outside. Look at the next one. 
reverence for God and all this is what I really have been preaching and want to continue preaching here among us. God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints. And to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. You know what I mean by that? You know, I'm not showing any disrespect when I say I don't want fake, the fake smog and all that and the fake smoke. I want the real. I want the real. But you know that the, the trend is if you don't do the things that the teenagers like, you won't keep them. Well, you know what? You've got to love God for who he is. Period. And I believe if we show them the real smoke, the glory manifesting among us, that should be more than enough to keep anyone. I want reality with God, don't you? Look at the next one. Submission, and this is where we begin. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Notice, this is called priorities. Because where Paul stated this in Ephesians 5.21, he went on to say now, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, submit to God. Children, submit to your parents. You see, he's giving priorities. Workers, work as if you're working for the Lord himself. Employers, understand that you've got a boss too. His name is Jesus. So he starts then listing all these priorities and says it starts here. Number one, your relationship with God. Number two, your relationship with your spouse. Number three, your children. Number four, where you work, your vocation is important. Number five, the church. And I realize some say, why are you putting the church down at five? Because all those four things I just mentioned come before the church. We're here before the church. They were here. Go back to the beginning. You'll find out they were all here before the church. The point is, you just, you just can't just say, well, I'm, I'm just going to do everything that I, I can for the church and just pour myself out into the church and leave your family go. When I first got saved in the 70s, 76, when I first got saved and the charismatic movement was going on, I don't mean any, once again, disrespect to any woman, but many of the women were going to Bible study here, Bible study there, doing this, doing that, doing everything else, and ignoring and neglecting their husbands and wondering why they weren't getting saved. Are you listening? Why aren't they getting saved? Well, because you're putting everything that you have into the church and the work of the church and you're ignoring your family, you're ignoring your children and you've been deceived by the enemy thinking that those that the church comes first. Well, it doesn't come first. You should do your part to advance the kingdom of God by attending a church and doing what you need to do, serving in some capacity, doing something. But again, that's for another day. So it's important to understand this is what he's saying here. Prioritize your lives. But you've got to have the fear of God in order to put things in place. Look at the conclusion. I'm telling you, there's so many scriptures here about the fear of the Lord that take the time to take this and do a study. Do a study with people in your neighborhood or somewhere. Bring them over and just pull this out and just say, let's study this for a while. Look at the first thing it says. Our lives on earth are to be lived in godly reverential fear. Look at First Peter, what it says. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, prepare your mental faculties to make right decisions and choices in life, and hope to the end, or, and be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass, here it is, 
the time of your sojourning here. How? In the fear of God. In fear. For as much, let's stop right there, first of all. Pass your time, your sojourning here, how? In, with godly reverential fear. And now, let's read on the next verses, because we read these verses, but sometimes out of context. For as much as you know, that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish and without spot who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times notice for you do you see what he's saying in context fear God live a life on this earth that's motivated by a godly reverential fear of God that you don't want to displease him why because he redeemed you by this precious blood it cost him his son and his life to reconcile us back to the father and if that's not enough to motivate us to put him first our spouse second children third you see in this then what's going to do it me preaching a different mess is not going to do it it's a conviction, and I prayed that this would just speak to all of our hearts, that we would take serious. We're living in a time right now when everybody's saying, Daddy, he's Daddy, he's Daddy. And yes, he is our Father, and yes, he is our Daddy. But he said, if you love me, then what I require of you is to fear me, keep my commandments, walk in my ways, love me. Secondly, our salvation is to be worked out with fear and trembling. Look at Philippians 2. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with what? Fear and trembling. Why? Because it's God who's at work within you, both to do and the will of his good pleasure. Both the will and the do of his good pleasure. Say with me, God's at work in me. The living God is living in me, working out his will for my life. I reverence you, Father, and I choose to do your will. And our last text, look at what it says. Our goal is to sing praises with those who lived out their lives in godly reverential fear. They worked out their salvation with godly reverential fear. And also, they lived their lives in God the reverential fear. And look at what it says in Revelation. Chapter 19. Now you know the text that says. All the people that are not going to be in glory. All those that do this and do that and do all that. But look at this. And a voice came out of the throne saying. Praise our God. All ye his servants. And ye that fear him. Both small and great. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude. And as a voice of many waters. And as the voice of mighty thundering saying, Alleluia, the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. So in other words, it's going to be those that have feared God that are going to be shouting out the praises of God throughout eternity. Do we fear him enough to put him first? Do we have reverence enough for him 
to put him first in our lives, in our families, in our work in the workplace. And again, this is the direction that we want to go in to be certain. Praise God that we are lining up with what his word declares that we should be as we live our lives here upon the earth. Amen. Praise God. Let's all stand together before the Lord.